Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right, we are kicking off a series called Love, Sexuality, and the Way of Jesus. And just as a little bit of a heads up to parents, this series, you know, it's got some sensitive subject matter. And, uh, you know, it might be sensitive to, to young ears, so just want you to know that. And you might have to have some conversations if you're going to, you know, if we're going to be in the, in the congregation and to sit here. But, uh, but I also think it's not, it's, it's not going to be graphic in any way, so you don't have to worry about those kind of things. I think it's going to be something that's worth talking about. Um, just as a little bit of a... Um, I have... I have battled <laughs> to, to get to this place to actually do a series on this subject. And this battle is not just the last couple of weeks. This has been uh, 18 years since we started Life Church. We have been uh, just how the circumstances of how Life Church started and some things that happened in the Spirit of God for me in terms of our community, the, the community we live in, and uh, the challenges that we find ourselves in every single day has... Uh, has really been something that has alerted me to this. And I've wanted to. It's been a few times along the way where I say, I think I'm going to do this. And then I don't tell anybody. I don't commit to anybody. So then I, I chicken out and nobody knows. Like, they didn't know that I wanted to. They didn't know that I chickened out, you know, that I just didn't do it, you know. And then I, but then, then last year, our staff, we, we did a SQS series. Pastor Wayne kind of organized a series where we just read through a lot of different books to uh, discuss sexual questioning and and, uh, you know, where, where as a church do we, do we, how do we engage in this? How do we talk about this? I personally have read extensively about it. I've listened to preachers and teachers talk about it. I've, I've subscribed to journals and websites to just wrap my mind around this idea I've had. In fact, I've had hundreds of conversations and some not, not just heartbreaking conversations around this particular issue. And, um, and it's kind of culminated to this. So, so what happened was we did this SQS series last year, and then I was excited about it, and I, I designed that, this, that, that this logo, right, this thing right here, I kind of designed it, thought, you know, this is a cool way to talk about this, you know, and I shared it out with everybody, and uh, Josh Meisner, our worship pastor, said, hey, when are we doing that one? You know, so I let the cat out of the bag, and now it was on the hook. That was last year. And so, uh, at, but then I was able, you know, sabbatical was a good excuse to not talk about it, so I just was gone for sabbatical. Um, but then this kind of circled back around, and I don't believe it's pressure. I believe it's the Holy Spirit saying this is a time to have these kind of discussions. And uh, it is. I think the truth is, is that we live in a culture where we are being sexually discipled. Now, I know you hear those words, and like, wait a minute, that doesn't go together. Sexually and disciple, those two words don't match up. Like, spiritual discipleship, yes. Financial discipleship, yes. We get those things. But sexual discipleship, that doesn't seem like it goes together. I think part of it is because we have this tendency to think that we need to separate biology from theology, that somehow or another, it's, that's just a, those two just don't ever mix. We should never talk about those things together. And as a result, it's kind of got us to the place where we're at right now. Very broken and confused culture around this idea of sex and sexuality. 
Today, there are more people that are more lonely, more broken, more isolated, more addicted than ever. In the words of Russell Moore, we are a, we're a culture, culture of refugees from the sexual revolution. This is who we are. And so, the truth is, is that we're all sexually broken. And I, I hope that doesn't offend you. I hope you don't say, wait, not me, Rich. That's not me. I'm not. And just let me qualify that. When I say that, what I mean is either by our own actions, by the actions of others against us, or by the mere fact that we are related to somebody who is. All of us have been affected at some level or another. All of us, I can almost guarantee, all of us in this room have had a conversation about, about sexual brokenness, heartbreaking conversation. Every single one of us. And so we're going to be talking about that. And the reason we're going to be talking about that is because I know Jesus. And I know Jesus offers good news. That's the, that's the Lord that I serve. A Lord who says, I, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of your sexual brokenness. I'm not concerned. I'm not worried about it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get the cooties because you're sexually broken. <laughs> I have hope for you. I have good news for you. That's the Jesus that I know. And this is why we need to talk about this. And so I may not, like you may not agree with some of the conclusions that we come to in this series. I get that. Just so you know, what I don't know what your expectations are. And, uh, and I may not say it in a way that I, that's good. <laughs> I might say it in a way that doesn't come out very well. And forgive me for that. But this is what I know. God is for you. Please hear me. God is, I'm saying this on the front end because I don't want you to walk out this door saying, God hates me. This church hates me. No, 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 not at all. God is for you. He loves you. And the world is trying to offer all kinds of solutions for the, the conflict that you're feeling on the inside. He has a pathway for you. He has hope for you. There's a destiny for you. No matter where you are, no matter how broken you might feel sexually right now, there is a destiny in God's mind for you. He has hope for you. So I just want to be clear a little bit about the direction we're going to go in. This is just kind of today. I'm just introducing it. In fact, I, I did the last service and I thought, man, Rich, you got to do better at talking about this. And so I'm, I'm just asking for forgiveness up front about how I'm talking about this, because this is really just a lot packed in and, uh, and where we're going to go. But just the direction of this, of this series is to, to, today we're just introducing it. And then, uh, unfortunately, we have, not unfortunately, he's a, he's a great speaker. You're going to love our speaker next week, but we, we have, we're interrupting the series uh, one, next week. And then the week after that, we're going to pick up again. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the, the hurt like how the church hasn't really talked about this in a very uplifting, righteous way and how we need to talk about these kind of things. So we're going to address that. And then the week after that, uh, Pastor Wayne's going to be speaking this one. <laughs> well, why does God care about who you sleep with? And I've asked, now he's just, he's looking at me going, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a few weeks. And then, and then the last week, we want to just close it out by basically saying that in Christ, there is hope. I know because of just countless, countless conversations, 
I know that there are people, maybe even sitting in this room, and you feel hopeless because of this very topic. You feel like there's no chance. In fact, you've decided to just keep it a big secret because you don't want anybody to know. I'm just going to tell you that there is hope. There is freedom to be found in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about that the, the final week. So the direction we're going. First, our, founda- our foundational understanding is this, that God created sex, and it's a good gift. God created sex, and it's a good gift, and we as a church, we're going to celebrate that. Now, I realize that we're in church, and people are like, wait, wait, Rich, why are we talking about this at church? <laughs> we shouldn't talk about this at church. This is kind of like a taboo. Like, we have that thing where we, you know, we're having conversations, and maybe you've done that, you know, and you're just talking about things, and all of a sudden you get to the sex word, you're like, you know, S-E-X, or, or you, because you're trying to spell it for kids not to hear or whatever. <clears throat> I mean, I understand that. I'm not saying that's wrong. You can do that. But what I'm saying is that we have this, there's this cultural sense that we shouldn't really talk about these kind of things. But this is our core foundational truth. He's the designer. He's the creator. He knows how it works best. And if you feel like we shouldn't be talking about it, we shouldn't be ashamed to talk about something that God was not ashamed to create. Secondly, the tone that we're going to talk about this will be gentle and gracious, not angry and anxious. And I know that probably some of you have sat through the angry and anxious tone around this subject of sexuality. That's not how we're going to talk about it. Just so you know, I'm not here preaching to people that are not here. I think in church we have that tendency. We think, oh, great, he's going to finally talk about something that somebody else that's not here needs to hear. (laughs) No, I'm talking to us. Okay? And the tone is going, to, is going to be gentle and gracious. <clears throat> that's my commitment. And we're going to talk about some things that are hard. We're going to talk about truth. That's going to be difficult. But it's not going to be with anger and self-righteous judgment. It's going to be truth and love. Truth and love. And our tone's going to reflect that. Now, this is difficult these days to talk about truth and love because we live in a culture now that there's been so much you know, social challenges in our culture that what's happened is we... If you disagree, it's labeled as hate. And so we, we think that any kind of conversation one's having, if, if you're not, not going to champion the other side, then you hate the other side. Well, that's a lie. That's not true. Sometimes the most loving thing you can possibly do is to disagree. And so this is, we're going to be talking about some very difficult things. And just, I just hope that through this series, as we talk about things, that some of you might sit here and say, no, I'm not sure if I agree with that, Pastor Rich. Or this makes me feel difficult. I, I'm, I'm challenged by what you're saying. I just hope that you walk out of here knowing that you are loved by me, by God, and by this church. Amen? Amen. So sexual discipleship. What is that? <laughs> um, well, whether you know it or not, we are constantly being influenced in our culture around this subject, constantly. The environment around us is shaping our beliefs, it's determining our perspectives, it's, uh, it's guiding our decisions on, on various different areas of our life, and uh, this is true. Like, especially on the topic of sexuality, Western society didn't invent this topic. And Western society was not the only one that's been trying to influence culture around this topic. This has been since the very beginning of time, 
the world is trying to influence us on how we should think about these things. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't be conformed. This idea of conform is this, it's, 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 the word is a mold. Don't be molded into. Like there's a mold out there. Don't let yourself just pliably fall into the mold and just be shaped by how this world thinks. It's what Paul's telling us. Don't be molded. Don't be, don't be influenced that way, especially around this idea of sex and sexuality. Now, Paul's saying this 2,000 years ago. It's not our invention. Yes, we are too being conformed, but we're not, this is not new. This has been happening since the beginning of time, trying to be conformed into thinking a certain way. Paul's speaking to the Romans here. And Roman, in first century Rome, the sexual ethic was all about excessive promiscuity. It was about using people and abusing people primarily for sexual gratification. And like our culture, it wasn't just um, accepted. It was celebrated. It was applauded. It was like, wow, that's, that's, that's labeled freedom. That's awesome, right? That's true to that. It was true then. It's true today. <clears throat> Listen, in our culture, we are constantly being sexually disciple, whether it's this in-your-face kind of, where it's like pornography just telling you that people are just objects that um, to be used and abused. It's a selfish act. Like that's in-your-face. You know that. Most, of, most, of, most people shrink back at that and say, ooh, that's terrible. But then there's a more subtle version of this, you know, that's happening, the subtle messaging that we're experiencing in entertainment and social media that consensual sex is just normal and it brings happiness. Like if you just go down that path, you're good. You'll be happy. As long as it's consensual, you'll be happy. Either way, the message is that sex has become a desire that can't be controlled and it must be satisfied. And this idea, this thought pattern has been incredibly destructive in our society. Incredibly destructive. This sexual ethic has now become normalized. Like I said, you, don't, you can't turn on the news or TV or anything without just in your face. It's just right there. And please hear me when I say this. I'm not saying this like from an offended standpoint, like I'm so offended. So I'm saying from a brokenhearted standpoint because what we're being, the messaging that we're getting is being, we're being told, this will make you happy. And I guess I've lived long enough that I've been down a lot of different paths and I've realized there's only one path that I find true satisfaction and fulfillment in and it's not in what you're selling. It's in Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of messaging out there. There's a lot of things going. So there's, but the problem is that there's some conflicting messages. Like one message that we're getting is that sex is no big deal. No big deal, right? Just do whatever you want with whomever you want as long as it's consensual. Like the issue is not sex. The issue is consensuality. Do you agree? You agree? Okay, great. Go for it. It's fine. But then the second message, which is a conflicting message, is that sex is the biggest deal. So it's no big deal, and it is the biggest deal. It's the biggest deal because your entire identity is found in your sexuality. That's the messaging that we're getting and so sex is now portrayed as, this, as like non-emotional hookup culture is normal. Non-traditional expressions of sex and gender are not just accepted. They're celebrated. They're applauded. They're encouraged. And so Paul says, listen, 
Don't be conformed to that. Don't just go through without thinking and embrace that and adopt it. Don't do that. Instead, he says, be transformed, which is the word metamorpho in Greek, which essentially basically is like metamorphosis where we get that. It's this complete transformation that happens by the Spirit of God. It's done to us as we yield ourselves to God. We are transformed. Kind of the idea of a, of a caterpillar and a butterfly. Caterpillar turns into a butterfly. You know, the caterpillar doesn't sit in that cocoon working hard. Oh, please, someday I'll be a butterfly. No, it's just natural. It just happens, right? As, as we people yield to the Holy Spirit, yield to God, we become who God has called us to become, right? And so the idea of metamorphosis, the idea of transformation is let your mind be changed. Like it's happening to you, let it be changed so you can truly be free. Let's not just mindlessly go and accept everything that the world is offering. Instead, let's be transformed by thinking about things differently. So let me just get started. I'm I'm running really long on this, so I'm gonna try to get started and try to get done quickly. Um, in Matthew 19, there's this interesting passage. Jesus' question about, se- uh, about divorce and marriage. And um, he responds, when he responds, what he does, how he responds, he points back to Genesis chapter 1. He basically points back to the beginning. He says, in the beginning, it was this. So this is very important for us to understand because a lot of us, the, a lot of the conversations around sexuality, especially when we're trying to merge it with theology, is a lot of the conversation, yeah, that's Old Testament, See, the Old Testament had all these rules and regulations. The New Testament, man, it's all about grace and freedom and love. And, it, and there is a lot of that in the New Testament, for sure. But just so you know, Jesus here, what does he do? When he's asked about marriage and divorce, he immediately points to the beginning, to the Old Testament. And what he's telling us is that there is a design. Sexuality has a divine design. Now, if you believe that, that totally changes your perspective on things. So this is the question for, us, for, for ourselves to ask ourselves is, do I believe that my sexuality has, a desi- that's been, has been designed by a designer? Do I believe that? Not asking if you feel that way. I'm asking, do you believe that God has designed you this way? Do you believe that? And if you do, then that changes, changes how you talk about things, Right? Now, see, we often, what we want to do is, instead of talking about belief, we want to talk about behavior, and we don't get very far. Really, this is a belief question. Do you believe that in the beginning, God created? It's a foundational question. For us to talk about sexuality, we have to ask ourselves, do I believe in the beginning, God created? Or do I believe that in the beginning, there was this accident that happened, and Maybe there's a God up there that did all this, but you know, he just kind of left us to ourselves. We're just on our own. We're just fending for ourselves. What do you believe about this? This is really a question of belief. So what do you believe about God's design? If you believe in the beginning God created, then it changes the conversation. It's less about, it's, it's less about you know, my desires. It's more about his design. It's less about my pleasure. It's more about his purpose. So what did Jesus refer to when he pointed, in Matthew 19 when he pointed back? He pointed back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. He says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So right here, we're introduced with two, two incredibly sensitive truths today. In fact, 
There's nothing more contested than these two truths in our society today. Number one, you are made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. Every person has value and, and is an image bearer of God. No matter, no matter where you're from or no matter you know, what your socioeconomic status is, no matter what the color of your skin is, no, no matter what your political identification is, no matter any of those kind of things, you, your identity is not found in those things. Your identity is found in that you are an image bearer of God. And this is why, I've said this, said this earlier, this is why racism is so offensive because it attacks the very image of God. You are an image bearer of God. And so if you understand that, if I understand that I'm an image bearer of God, and if I understand that the person that I, that I care about and I love, I'm attracted to, I'm married to, is also an image bearer of God, then it changes how I relate to that person. That's the first sensitive truth. The second sensitive truth is he made them male and female. <clears throat> now, this is not a series on gender, um, but when we talk about sexuality, you have to understand how God has designed us we're talking about maleness and femaleness. We're not talking about a variety of other things. He made them male and female. This is part of how God made you. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 1 and you find the creation story, you see how it all happened. You know the story, Adam put to sleep, ribs taken out, you know, woman's made out of Adam, all that, you know, that whole story. He does it and then he steps back and he looks at his creation and says, that is very good. That is very good, right? Listen, if you're struggling with your gender identity, I know it's hard. I'm sure it's hard. I also know that there are many that will celebrate you. They'll encourage you to deal with that tension by identifying by something you know, different than how you were, you know, than how you were biologically designed. But you need to know as a church, <clears throat> it's our commitment with a loss of love and compassion to acknowledge that what you're going through is a real struggle. We get that. We're not gonna minimize the struggle you're going through. But we will also gently and consistently keep pointing you back to, to Genesis chapter one, that you're an image bearer of God and that you were created male and female. Now, you may completely disagree with me on this. You may disagree with the scriptures on this but it doesn't change how we feel towards you. Please hear me on this. this, is the, this is, I think this is the big idea that I want to communicate. <clears throat> you may disagree with me on this, but I love you. God loves you. And this church loves you. We're not here to beat you over the head and kick you out. This is really about, this is really about what the Bible has to teach about sexuality. This is where we're going. You're loved and cared for. And we're gonna talk about some things that are kind of hard to hear in this series. We don't really like that, right? Sometimes it's precisely those things that we do need to hear. Uh, Christy and I, we've been married for 36 years, and, um, and, and uh, she, she, uh, she's a nurse, by the way. In fact, this year she was 40 years nursing, and uh, she's done, done a lot of reading and research, and... Um, she tends to like challenge me on some things, especially on my eating stuff. <laughs> like, um, like sugar. 
she really has done a lot of reading about sugar and sees the detriment of sugar and long-term health, especially as we're getting older, you know. And so she's done a lot of reading. You know, it's not uncommon to see Chrissy lying in a bed reading a book about the ills of sugar. <laughs> Whatever the title, it's various different titles, but it's the ills of sugar, you know. And, um, and uh, so she challenges me on those things. But here's the thing. It's just not ever at an, the best time. Like, I, you, this is how it happens, typically. I'll have a big spoonful of Ben and Jerry's in my hand, just about to stick it in my mouth, and she'll look at me like, are you going to eat all of that? She doesn't say anything bad. She just says, are you going to eat all of that? <laughs> and then I'm, like, scooping off part of it. Like, no, I'll just see I have a half a spoon, you know. <laughs> we have a ben, we, ben and Jerry's, you know, sometimes if, if it's left up to me, it's gone in one sitting, if Christy's around, it takes about two weeks to eat one little pint of Ben and Jerry's, you know? It's like a spoonful of whatever. And so, you know, she, she challenges me on those things. She challenges me on the things that I eat, right? Sometimes I feel offended. Sometimes I'm upset. I don't want her to say those things to me. She'll back off a little bit, but she won't quit. She'll keep because she has this plan. She wants to live with me for a long time after, you know, we retire. She wants to have a healthy life into the future. That's what, that's what it is. And so she'll consistently come back and, and say things to me. And I might get, you know, I don't want to hear them. I might, it might be, I might be sensitive to it. I'm defensive to it because it means that I have to make some changes, now, I'm talking about this not to minimize the subject that we're on, but as human nature, we don't really like hearing things that require us to change. We can become very defensive. We can become, you know, a little angry about that and sensitive about that, especially when it's changing something that brings us pleasure. <clears throat> so Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says this, For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Here's a reference to sex, essentially be united to his wife. And they will become one flesh. One flesh. In this verse, basically God is saying he is the designer of marriage and the creator of sex. He designed it, he created it. Then we find in chapter 3, we read the story of the fall of humankind. Sin enters the world. Everything is just knocked off kilter in, in nature, in biology, in, in sexuality, in nature. Now we have hurricanes and tornadoes and natural disasters in physiology. We have cancer. We have hypertension. We have, uh, you know, COVID is an example of, of sin in this world. And also in sexuality, we see the brokenness all around. It's very self-evident. I don't have to convince you that people are sexually broken. We see it all around us. But what I want to highlight here is that before sin entered into the world, sex was created. Sex didn't come after sin. Sex happened before sin. Like it was created with a purpose. God had a good plan and design it's meant to serve a purpose. It has a, it's meant to be a supernatural union between a husband and a wife. And so this is how often the Bible will talk about sex specifically. It's God's plan. It's God's plan within a context of marriage, husband and wife. So a couple of things I want us to think through as we're, as we're you know, moving towards the rest of this series. Number one is sex has a divine design. Sex has a divine design. Sex isn't just purely physical. It's spiritual. It's, we don't, I don't think we think that way often. I don't think we just ever process that because it is very physical for sure. 
But it's hard to imagine it as just as spiritual as well. I think we often treat sex as something just purely biological and not spiritual. And that's part of the world. That's part of the, the conforming in this world that's happening is it wants us to separate God from the equation. It wants to separate theology from biology. And when you do that, it's like tearing off a limb. There's a wound that's left. You cannot do that without, without hurting yourself. <clears throat> and this is becoming more and more self-evident in our culture. The further away we get from God's design, the more evident it becomes that God knows what he's talking about. There's this wound that has been left behind. This wound. That's, I think, what Paul's getting at in, verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, run from sexual sin. I love, I love the New Living Translation. It's like, run. I think you've heard flee before. Run from sexual sin. Like, it, it, like it's creeping up. Paul said, take off. <laughs> run. You know? He said, and then he says this very poignant statement about it. He says, no other sin. Like, he didn't say, this is one of many. Like, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So it's not surprising here at Wall Street Journal, it's not surprising that on the Wall Street Journal, we could pull that up here real quick, that they would have a headline that says, too risky to wed in your 20s, and then they add the little caveat, not if you avoid cohabiting first. I did this study. It was a study among young women. And in this study, what they were saying was that young women in their 20s, when they got married early, because the, the, the idea these days is you can't get married too early because if you get married too early, then you don't, you don't really, you don't know what you're doing and you, you might end up in divorce, you know, you know, compatibility and all that kind of stuff. They did a study and they found that young women who avoided sex and got married even in their early 20s, who did not cohabitate, have a higher chance of not getting a divorce than those who cohabitated, trying to figure out whether this is the right thing to do or not. And they cited a lot of things. They talked about like the distrust level, especially if there's multiple different partners, you know, and along the way that there's, there's a lot of trust, distrust built into the relationship because of the multiple partner, partners, et cetera. And so made it very, very difficult. And this journalist, he's not writing from a biblical perspective. He doesn't have a biblical, you know, tr tradition necessarily. He's just looking at research. And basically, in a roundabout way, what he's saying, the research is saying is that there's a designer, and it turns out that God knows how this works better. Don't cohabitate. So God gives us these warnings around sexuality. We see some of these in the New Testament. Think of these warnings about sexuality, like a manufacturer's label, a warning, a manufacturer's label. I have a chainsaw. This is not my chainsaw. I wish it was, but it's not my chainsaw. Um, but uh, chainsaws will have these warning labels, right? And it says, warning, right? And then here's the label. Do not hold the wrong end of the chainsaw. Like, I think I could have figured that one out, right? But here's the reason why they do this. Just to be clear, they want to make sure that you realize you hear what they're saying because this is an object that has a lot of benefit. It can cut trees down. It can do all kinds of stuff. But if you use it inappropriately, it's going to be incredibly damaging. That's basically what they're saying. 
So just in case you think, you know what, I could grab the other end of the chainsaw. No, you can't. You're going to get hurt really badly. Usually the warning labels in the New Testament uses the phrase sexual immorality to describe this warning. There's a lot of examples. In Hebrews 13, 4, there's one. It says, marriage should be honored by all. The marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. That word sexually immoral, there's the word pornea in the Greek. It basically is this general definition, sex, any kind of sex outside of the way God designed it to be. So this is how the Bible oftentimes talks about sexuality. Like here's God's design, here's his plan, and anything outside of his design and plan is sexual immorality. And this term, so it's kind of a generic term, it's like a junk drawer. Anybody have a junk drawer in the kitchen? It's like a junk, you just throw all kinds of stuff in there. It's like a junk drawer term. It refers to a lot of things. Like sexual immorality is lust, it's, you know, it's sex, it's adultery, it's homosexuality, it's sleeping with, it's sleeping with uh, somebody who's not, you're not married to. It's sleeping with somebody you love that's married to somebody else. This is all considered sexual, there's a lot of different ways, but here's what, here's what it's saying. This is God's design, and whatever is outside of God's design is this, it's sexual immorality. And so as Christians, we have an opportunity to live at a higher, have a higher view of sexuality, to embrace God's design and say, this is how we're gonna live because we wanna live within the, within the boundaries that God has placed around sexuality. So first, sex has a divine design. Second thing that I want us to kind of process through is that sex isn't casual, it's purposeful. God has designed it with a purpose. In Genesis chapter two, <clears throat> It says he unites a man and a woman together. It's a supernatural union. Now, this is shifting in our culture these days. Like, sex was definitely something that was very much thought of one way, and it has shifted to be very much casual these days. And And these shifts can be seen in a lot of different ways. For example, sex has been disconnected from childbearing and family. Think about this. Most of human history, most of human history, you couldn't think about sex without the possibility of a long-term relationship or a long-term responsibility. In my, dem- in my age group, and I'm not that old, but in my age group, that's how you thought about it. It was not until 1972 that contraceptives were not even allowed for single people. But it's moved, it's moved away from that. We have separated, uh, separated sex from childbearing and family. We've disconnected it there. The second shift we see is that it's disconnected from emotion and relationships. Pick any sitcom and watch it, and you'll see. Again, hear me when I'm saying, I'm not bashing, it's not what I'm doing, I'm just, it's a broken heart really in many ways, but pick any sitcom and you'll see that they're telling you, hey, you can have sex and there's no emotional attachment. There's no responsibility, no relationship that needs to be built out of that. It's just physical pleasure. That's all it is. And the third thing we see in, in our society is that it's been disconnected from people, like actually physical people. Pornography has created a world where we've traded a bond with a, with a spouse for a bond with a screen. And it's incredibly destructive. We're seeing the fallout of that. 
So God has designed sex to be this one flesh union. The Hebrew word for that is ikad. In that passage that we looked at in Hebrews 2, it's the, the word ikad, which is a supernatural union of things becoming one. Like it's sacred. It's something mysterious. It's something supernatural that happens when ikad happens. Now, you can violate ikad, but in doing that, you're also violating the power of that connection in your life. You can violate ikad, but when you do that, you're violating yourself, you're violating your, the people you're in relationship, you're violating your future intimacy. A lot of people that can testify, though, of how God has restored, by, by his grace has restored ikad in their life. But please, please do not buy into this idea that sex can be casual. It cannot. Now, I know that what I've been talking about is just, it's not just an alternative. I know it's contradictory. And I know that, that as I'm talking about this, and I don't know who you are, but I know as I'm talking about it, it might make you angsty a little bit, a little bit defensive. Maybe you're not defensive for yourself, but you're defensive for somebody you care about, somebody you love, somebody that's maybe not here, and you're, you just feel like, well, what about them? I get that. And I just want you to know I, I appreciate the grace that you're extending me to even sit here and listen to all of this. I know that some of these things are really hard to hear. They really are. And so just to, as we're kind of concluding, I just, I just want to say this. I hope that you walk out of here with this sense that, okay, these are hard things to hear, but God is for me. Rich, he's not trying to beat me up. He, he's for me. This church really wants wholeness in my life, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that. There's a, a guy by the name of Beckett Cook. He wrote a book called uh, Change of Affection. He was a highly successful uh, Hollywood designer, producer, des, uh, production designer in Hollywood. And he also lived a fully uh, gay lifestyle. And um, there's a lot of things he says in his book. I'm just going to read a few things that he says in his book. And I think that capture a couple of things that I think are very important for us to hear. He says, I had many boyfriends over the years, attended pride parades and marched in innumerable, innumerable rallies for gay marriage equality. My identity as a gay man was immutable, or so I thought. Like, nobody could question. That's what he's saying. Nobody can question my, my identity. So he's, a, he's, with these, uh, he's with a friend. They're on the beach. Or they're like at the restaurant, little breakfast place. They're having this meal together and he sees a bunch of Christians having a Bible study, which was really weird for him to see that in Southern California. And so he, uh, he approaches the guy and says, hey, uh, what are you guys doing? He said, we're Christians. And the guy invites him to church. Him and his friend are like debating. They're both atheists. They don't really believe in God. They especially don't believe in the church. And so they're trying to, you know, in their heads say, yeah, this is crazy. We won't do this. But he, get, he gets invited. And then the, the feeling doesn't go away. It's like he feels like he has to... Like, he, he wants to answer the question. Like, he wants to, to answer for himself. He's like, I don't want to be the guy that says, no, I don't believe in that stuff, but I'm not going to go to your church, you know, kind of. He wants to be like, he wants to prove the point, right? And so he goes on, he shares his experience attending this church in Hollywood. He says, uh, I walked into, the, into that church a gay atheist, and I walked out two hours later as a born-again Christian in love with Jesus. He said, I was stunned by the reversal since then, I no longer identify as gay, but rather choose to be celibate because, and here, listen to this, okay? This is important because we're, not, we're talking about gay right here, but we're talking about a lot of things, whatever you might be struggling with, okay? Because 
I believe, notice he says, I believe. He didn't say, I feel, or it's an emotional thing that I've got going on. I believe, he says, God's plan and purpose as revealed in the Bible is authoritative, true, and good. He's talking about beliefs here. He's not talking about feelings. Surrendering my sexuality hasn't been easy. I still struggle with vestiges of same-sex attraction, but denying myself, taking up my cross, and following Jesus is an honor. Any struggles I experience pale in comparison to the joy of a personal relationship. I love that. I'm glad he's saying it because I could say it doesn't mean a whole lot, but I'm glad he says it. Pale in comparison to the joy of a personal relationship with the one who created me and gives my life meaning. My identity is no longer in my sexuality. It's in Jesus. Now, as a result of his change of mind and change of direction that he goes in, he gets fired from his job. He loses a lot of his friends, and he comments on that. He says, I'm not complaining about any of that or claiming to be a victim because what I gained in Christ is absolutely priceless. Christ is priceless. Like the Apostle Paul, I'm learning to count everything a loss as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Yes, <clears throat> the loss of close friendships and a lucrative career were harsh, but being in the kingdom of God more than compensates, he says. A friend challenges him and says, hey, you're not being authentic to your, to your feelings. You should be authentic to your feelings. And this is how he responds to that. He says, the most, I'm the most authentic person you know. In fact, because, I now, <clears throat> because I'm now who God created me to be, I'm finally authentic. Becoming more and more like Jesus, the truest human who ever lived, is far more authentic transformation than becoming more and more like whatever self my fluid feelings suggest on any given day. So here's what I want you to catch from Beckett's thesis. He says, he goes, I believe what God says is authoritative, true, and good. He talks about belief here. All right? And he says, being a Christian, actually, you know, and the things that I've gone through, it, 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 it more than compensates to be in the kingdom of God. Taking up my cross and following Jesus is an honor, he says. Like he says, this, I know that there's been a shift. I know that there's a lot of variation on how people might think about this. But here's what my experience, this is what he said. Here's what my experience is. Don't feel sorry for me. I have found a treasure of great price. I have found what truly, fully satisfies a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I guess the question I want to ask you this morning as we're talking about this whole topic is what do you believe? Not only do, what do you believe about sexuality, which that's something to think about, but what do you believe about God? Like, do you believe, this is foundational, do you believe in the beginning God created? Because that informs a lot. That makes you, that makes you ask the question about your sexuality. In the beginning, God created. Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe that Jesus gave his life to set you free from a lifetime of bondage and sin? What do you believe? You may not agree on all those things, but I can tell you something. I believe that God has designed you with a purpose and a destiny. 
no matter how sexually broken you might be right now in this room, a gentleman walked up to me in first service, just an older man, older than me, just bawling. And he said, I've not, I've not had hope for 50 years, he said. For 50 years, I've not had hope. So no matter how sexually broken you are, here's what you need to understand. Well, Beckett Cook's words, Jesus is better. The world is feeding you a lie that this will satisfy, that'll make you happy, this will fulfill, this will be better. And we run down that path because it does satisfy initially, right? It does make us feel better initially. But we run down that path and we get to the end and realize, I'm back where I started. I'm back in the same place. I still have the same feelings, the same emotions. And what Becca Cook is saying is, look, you know what? This path is better. Jesus is better. I'm gonna ask us all to stand. Um, what you're looking for, what you're looking for in life. Let's just take this topic of sexuality off. What you're looking for in life is found in Jesus. That's very centering for me. That's very, very centering for me. Because I do have, I have my own challenges that I walk through and I feel, I feel like overwhelmed by. And I might be tempted to try to resolve those problems and those tensions in my life in other ways, but I'm just convinced that what I need in this life is a full-blown relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's where I will find, it's not gonna take everything away, it's not gonna make me perfect, not at all. In fact, we're just imperfect humans walking through life, connecting with Jesus Christ. What do you believe? What do you believe about God? Amen? Amen. I wanna pray for us, just a couple things. Like I said, this is just introductory, and so I'm kinda of going way long, but we'll talk about some more specific things along the way, but. <clears throat> Just two things for you to consider is, do you believe that God has designed sex as a good thing for a purpose? Just a question for you to walk away and ponder. Has God designed sex as a good thing with a specific purpose in my life? Identifying that, understanding that, and embracing that is important. And secondly, do you, do you trust that he is for you in this area of your life? And I think this is probably more important because I think that... In this area of sexuality, too many people walk around saying, God hates me. The Bible hates me. The church definitely hates me. That's not true. No, maybe, yes. We'll talk next, next time about things the church has done. But Jesus doesn't hate you. Not at all. He loves you cares about you. He longs to be in a relationship with you no matter where you are in your sexuality. He wants a relationship with you. And it's his grace and it's his mercy that allows us to have a conversation like this today. So you can walk out of here saying, okay, I don't know if I agree with everything he's saying and I don't like it. <laughs> but I'll try Jesus because Jesus is better. Let's pray.
Father, I'm just so aware that <clears throat> there's nothing, probably no subject that is more uh, close to the heart for so many of us in this room like this one. And I understand, Lord, that there's probably a whole range of emotions in this room and a whole range of unique beliefs and a uh, whole range of maybe disagreement. <clears throat> so I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to be the one who speaks. For you to be, your work is to convince us, to convict us of sin and to convince us of truth. And so Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to move in this room right now among our hearts and our minds. Convince us that you are speaking truth to us, that you're calling us to a higher sexual ethic, to not just simply embrace what the world says about it, but to actually, to actually believe what you have said, and that is that you are the designer, the creator of sex, and you have a purpose for it. So Father, will you help us in our sexual brokenness? Will you bring peace and hope? May we walk out of this room with a sense of hope we can be renewed, we can be restored, we can be made whole. We ask in Jesus' name.